Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. Hey, we hope you had a good week. I know I did. How about yourself? Yeah, we had some fun. Went floating on the lake. Yeah, little... I've been trying to make the most of my summer days. A little bit of tubing. And so we got to go uh, swim in a pool yesterday. That was nice. We went to the movies this weekend. What else did we do? We went to the lake. We blew up some tubes. Well, we were going to go um, like tubing down the creek down the river yeah and that plan kind of fell apart I don't know I guess there was some miscommunication with like my mom was gonna go and I don't know so we had to kind of rearrange plans but we ended up going out to the lake floating on these inner tubes for a couple of hours it was nice yeah, just it was drifting not... aimlessly yeah very serene I was reading aloud to you yeah, that was sonnets. No, not really. But uh, huh. <laughs> that's not something people do very often these days. No, doesn't seem. No, but yeah, we've just been trying to make the most of it because we already feel like summer's slipping away from us. Yeah, well, now that you can see school supplies out in the stores, uh, like they've put away all the summer gear, and now it's just like school supplies. No, I hate that time of year because then it just reminds me that like my lazy summer days are coming to an end. Yes, damn some school supplies. I know those little fuckers are expensive. Yeah, I know. Whatever happened to the day where you just went with a pack of paper and a pack of pencils and you was good to go? Oh my God, now it's like you have to have a nap mat and certain pencil pouch. Seven and... types of cleaning supplies. Yeah, since when are we supposed to be funding all of that stuff? Yeah, I guess when they keep defunding our education system. I'm not sure. Well, we'll keep that for a, a political podcast that we, yeah. we want to operate. <laughs> Either way, it's expensive. So we appreciate you guys, our patrons, very much for all of your um, support through Patreon. So this week's bonus episode exclusively for you Patreon folks is a really sad case. And I remember when this happened, um, seeing the headlines in the news, and it, it was just such a tragic story. Yeah, I don't recall. I didn't catch this one when it happened. Well, we're going to be talking today about Nicole Madison Lovell. And Nicole Lovell, she was 13 years old when she was reported missing by her mother. Um, she was discovered missing sometime between like midnight and 7 a.m. on Wednesday, January 27th, 2016. The 13-year-old had climbed out of her bedroom window of the apartment complex that she shared with her mother, apartment building, and she'd taken along her phone and a cartoon blanket with her. And she had even gone as far as to push the dresser against the door. So at first, her mom thought that maybe she had tried to run away. Wow. Yeah. How scary is that? Well, can you imagine? Yeah, as a parent. Right. I mean, even if you think your kids ran away from home. She, they're still gone. Yeah. Well, the fact that, you know, she just took the phone and the blanket, that just yeah. seems odd because you think, okay, well, if a kid's going to run away, they'd probably pack some kind of bag and have clothes and more items with them yeah they'll try to have their little mad bag where they got their most important items with them and a, the mad bag yeah a couple change of clothes is right? that what you call it a mad bag well if i was running away that's what i call because i'd be mad as hell and i'd be like i'm about to get up out this bitch and i'm taking everything that means something to me so next time i get mad at you and i'm like i'm going to my mama's house i'm gonna call that my mad bag well yeah okay you well can. that's interesting if you want to steal my trademark phrase <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, you know, for me as a parent, if I saw, like, my daughter's phone was gone and a blanket, my immediate thought would be that she had just was sneaking out. But I'd still be scared. I mean, in this day and age, you know, with your kids stinking out of the house, I mean, there's just so much danger in the world. 
even more so, I think, than maybe when we were growing up. Well, yeah, just given the, you know, the connections and, you know, social media and the, you can try, I know this from personal experience, you can try to monitor everything they're doing, things you're staying on top of it. These kids know three or four things you don't know anything about. They know how to get around most, you know, everything you put up to try to stop them. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very scary because the whole world essentially is being invited into your household. Well, that's true. Well, of course, mom's immediate concern was for her daughter's life because the 13-year-old Nicole had a liver transplant um, when she was only 10 months old. And she had medication that she would take twice a day since that liver transplant, um, you know, just to keep her healthy and alive. So her medical history sparked a lot of concern, not only for her family, of course, but for police. Because if they've got this missing girl, you know, by this time, she's probably missed at least a dose of medication. I mean, they're worried about her. Wow. She has to take that every day, essentially her entire life. Yeah. And, you know, Nicole has been described as a very lonely girl. She was often bullied by her classmates because of the scars from the liver transplant. Which, you know, her friends have said... You know, she was just a really nice person, but people would pick on her. And when, you know, people have asked, well, why was she so bullied if she was a nice girl? The response was, well, it's middle school. And we can understand that, Dylan. We're parents of middle school-aged girls. Yeah. You have a 12-year-old. Yes. I have a 13-year-old. And you also have a 16-year-old who's been through a bad middle school experience. Yes, it's just it's the mean girls attitude nowadays i mean really it's just with all the even when they go home it doesn't stop the talking and the rumors and the taunting and the, the you know bullying. again social media it just keeps on and because like now these kids have an avenue to taunt and bully not only at school but they can do it on facebook instagram right. through messages and everybody knows about it instantly and you can't like you know when we were kids you had a bad day at school, you went home like it was cut off. It was like a buffer. You're home now, and you can maybe talk to your parents or friends about it and then go back into it the next day. But nowadays, it just doesn't stop. And yeah. It moves at the it's speed of life. a hard time for it these really kids. Is. And I'm not going to say that things are worse now as far as the bullying goes because, I mean, even my old ass, you know, remembers middle school being absolutely horrible. And I was teased and bullied relentlessly by girls. And it was over dumb stuff, like, because they didn't like what I was wearing. Right. And I never understood that because my attitude was, well, if you don't like it, then don't wear it. But why do you care what I'm wearing? Like, you wear what you want, I'll wear what I want. Right. So I just could never quite wrap my head around the mean girls thing. But it still exists. It's probably been going on since the beginning of time, and it'll continue to go on. But... You're correct in that we at least had that safe sort of buffer zone yeah, of going little... home and kind of escaping from that for a little while. Nowadays. It definitely is. And so in this day and age, Nicole, who was feeling very lonely, isolated, was just so desperate to make connections and friends and really wanted a boyfriend. I mean, she's 13. She's curious, you know, preteen, early teen. So she took to the internet Yay. in hopes to make some friends, make a connection. 
And some of her closest friends say she was meeting people online and had even mentioned that she had a boyfriend, a man who was over the age of 18 at one point. Okay. And her friend was concerned. You know, she was like, hey, I don't think this is a good idea. He's much older than you. You know, not cool. So that happened, you know, the the boyfriend thing. And it was shortly after that she was in another anonymous type chat room online where she met another boy. And this one, she actually told him she was 16 or 17. Right. Made him think she was older. And so after a month or so of chatting, uh, the two decided to meet in person. And they were using the app Kick, which I'm not really familiar with Kick. I mean, I've heard of it, but basically it's like an anonymous kind of app that you can use where you can send messages, photos, videos, and they're sent over Wi-Fi. So a lot of parents don't even know their kids have access. So as you were mentioning before, Dylan, as a parent, you can take all these extra steps right. and precautions trying to make sure that your kids are safe and secure from the outside world, but they're going to find a way to get around that. There's just so many different things nowadays like that. You could take have a child who's acting up, if you will, or doing things you're telling them not to, and you can take them their service away and be like, okay, so I'm taking your cell phone service as a punishment or whatever because you've done the wrong thing with it. And then they can use something like this. As long as they have access to a Wi-Fi, even if they pop on free Wi-Fi in public, like if you happen to be at McDonald's or something, if they have a device, they can find a way to communicate. Well, that's the thing with this Kick app is that, you know, you don't have to have phone like, you don't have to have a phone plan. No. You don't have to have any minutes on your phone. Um, parents can suspend, like, texting so that their kids can't be sending photos or whatever. But if they've got kick, they can talk to anybody. And the scary part is it's all anonymous. So the phone number is not popping up. You can lie. You can use a fake name. Can't trace who's doing it, where it's coming from. Yeah, you don't, it's pretty you hard. can't look at your phone bill and see these numbers. You can't see any of that. So this is like a recipe for disaster here. We've got 13-year-old Nicole, very lonely, very confused, bullied, probably has super low self-esteem girl, just looking to make a connection with anybody. And, I mean, this is just a bad situation because, you know, any predator can swoop right in and groom this young girl. I mean, it's just a really bad yep. combination. So that's kind of where we're going with this. So Karen met online. Nicole had lied about her age, of course, painting herself as a bit older than she actually was. But it's going to later come out that Nicole, they believe, authorities believe that she had actually met up with this guy before at some point. And this fellow's name is David Eisenhower. And he is an 18-year-old from Columbia, Maryland. He's a freshman engineering student at Virginia Tech. He's also a cross-country runner for the school. And, you know, this kid comes from a, a well-to-do home, private schools, um, you know, track star. He was a three-time state champion in track and was named Howard County Boys Indoor Track Athlete of the Year before being recruited by Virginia Tech. Wow. You know, affluent kid, track star, smart, good student. I mean, to be an engineering student, you got to have good grades. Right. They don't just let anyone into the Virginia Tech engineering program. 
you know, they're talking, chatting, whatever. Well, Eisenhower would later come out and say that he was afraid of the relationship's illegal nature. Coupled with the fact that Nicole thought she might be pregnant. Oh, so he's afraid of having had sex with this underage girl, basically. Yeah, well, he says that he thinks he may have had sex with Nicole at a party, but that he was too drunk to remember and blacked out. Okay. At some point after this alleged, like, party, and he may or may not have had sex with her, so this is why authorities think that they'd, you know, they'd met before, because this was his concern, and he couldn't remember that, you know, what exactly had transpired between the two. He asked Nicole if she would come out for a secret date with him. Oh, yeah. And this is the evening that she sneaks out of her family's apartment and then disappears. Well, three days after she went missing, Nicole was found dead on State Route 89 in Surrey County, North Carolina. So, once the police start to investigate this, they start to piece together what's happened here. They kind of right off the bat start looking into Nicole's online activity. Um, she even had like her username and password information like written on her bedroom wall. So uh-huh. it's pretty easy to access her accounts. So from there, they start to piece together that she had some kind of relationship or something going on with this kid, David Eisenhower. And so start looking into that. And they realize that Eisenhower had probably taken Nicole, you know, somewhere out of the house. She had met up with him. They had driven out, um, you know, somewhere where, you know, she was murdered and then transported to North Carolina. Once they start looking into this, they find out that he had, in fact, killed her in Blacksburg, Virginia. Then started to, like, freak out and panic about what he was going to do with the body. He initially wanted to bury her body on his grandparents' property outside of Galax, Virginia. But... For whatever reason, that didn't happen. He drives Nicole's remains out to North Carolina, stripped off her clothes, wiped her body down with some cleaning solution, and then left her body on the side of the rural road. Really? Naked, face down, just off the side of the road, discarded like a piece of trash. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get, you know, I know people panic and things happen, but I I don't quite understand how you just toss... Some young girl's body who you had to have at least acted like you cared for in some manner, had some type of relationship with. How you just throw her off in a ditch. Well, this whole, you know, we're going to go on a secret date was really just a plot to get her out of the house so he could kill her. Lovell's cause of death was a fatal stab wound to the neck, but she had suffered, I think, 14 stab wounds total. Yeah. Okay. Well, once authorities have made this connection that they think Eisenhower is involved, they get a hold of his, you know, computer at school, find out that days before the disappearance, he had searched for knockout drugs and methods of body disposal. Oh, yeah. That's that's normal things to Google. His DNA was also found under Nicole's fingernails and blood was found in his car. And then it comes out that he has an accomplice. So this is where things start to get, like, really kind of crazy. A student at Virginia Tech, also a freshman engineering student named Natalie Keepers, starts um, being interrogated and investigated and eventually is charged with 
accessory before the fact and concealing the body. A little background, Natalie Keepers is from Laurel, Maryland, which is only about 15 minutes or so from Columbia, Maryland, where Eisenhower is from. So I'm not sure if they knew each other prior to being students at Virginia Tech. I guess there's a good possibility. Like maybe, maybe they knew each other from high school or if they met while in the engineering school and maybe just struck up a friendship because they were both from kind of the same area. Right. But she was really active in high school theater. She worked on her school's literary magazine and her high school classmates described her as being this like really sweet person. Like she just seemed really nice. She was happy. She was like a good girl. She wasn't in trouble. When, you know, it comes out that she's been arrested in conjunction with this whole murder case, people were shocked. Well, I guess so. This young girl's been murdered. Essentially lured, you know, to somewhere to be murdered. If you knew of someone who had part, you know, a part in that, it would be very, I think, disturbing. Well, what's so disturbing is that once she's being, you know, interrogated, she's been questioned, she openly admits that uh, she was a sociopath in training. Oh, wow. Okay. Is that a minor? She's majoring in that? Yeah. So she says that Eisenhower's a sociopath and that she was his trainee and that she felt like it was this honor to like work under him. Oh, wow. To, you know, that he was going to teach her the ways. Um, And she, I mean, she thought it was cool. Keepers and Eisenhower were using also the messaging app Kick to discuss the murder. Keepers helped Eisenhower load the body into his Lexus before driving it across state lines to dispose of it. They had kind of spent a few days planning this murder. Once he commits the murder, he's freaking out, what am I going to do with the body? She comes out, you know, to this area where he's killed this girl, helps load the body up, and helps him get rid of it. Yeah. One message through the Kick app said hey, as long as they don't find the body for a week, it'll never be found. Okay. So she thought if they, you know, have this person's missing, a week goes by that they don't have a body, then, ah, we're in the clear. They'll never find her. I just quit looking or investigating. Yeah. And Keepers later admitted that she liked the idea of being part of something that was secretive and special, like committing a murder. Wow. Okay. So both Keepers and Eisenhower throughout the trials have been diagnosed with mental disorders. Eisenhower is on the autism spectrum, and some doctors say, you know, of course, that limits his ability to handle social situations and emotions. One psychiatrist even believed that Natalie Keepers was the mastermind behind the murder, that she had actually found somebody she could manipulate in Eisenhower, and that she did just that. Because days leading up to the murder, the two discussed all the logistics, how it would happen. She was kind of encouraging him, helping him figure out, like, how can we dispose of this body? We need to really, like, make it this big, you know, this big thing as far as, like, all these cleaning products. We're going to take all these extra precautions. So she was basically had a lot bigger hand than just sounds like than just after the fact, helping him a little bit. Right. So she was taking it serious, her little training, like as if they were working on some project together. 
Yeah, and there's even been some discussion that Keepers and Eisenhower may even kind of had like, um, like almost been a couple, kind of. Okay. Or that they had some sort of thing kind of going on that Keepers was kind of seemingly in love with him. Okay. And so maybe she thought this would bring them closer or bond them. Just a really strange situation. Well, after Nicole was killed, the pair, Eisenhower and Keepers, made trips to a Walmart in Wyattville, Virginia, to buy cleaning supplies. They went as far as disposing of some of the bloody cleaning wipes and things they had used at a McDonald's. And then they drove up to West Virginia and dumped some of Nicole's belongings in West Virginia, trying to dispose of evidence. That's just... Okay, not very smart plan there, it doesn't seem like. Well, here's the kicker. Natalie Keepers had Nicole's bag and blanket in her dorm room. Okay. So not too bright. Yeah. Not too smart. You need to do a little more training. Yeah, I mean, they keep going on and on about how they're they're making these big elaborate plans to dispose of all these things and they're never going to get caught and it's so good to go the extra mile. Yeah. But then, then she's got this blanket in her dorm room. Okay. And then Eisenhower's car still had a shovel, had cleaning supplies, and had blood stains in the trunk. All right. That they had made no effort to clean up. Well, I guess that's a good thing, maybe. Or they yeah. may have uh, got another victim. Well, in 2016, Eisenhower, after trial, and it was a, a, only like a five-day trial. I mean, they had a lot of evidence to present, but it only took like five days to present everything they had. And he was convicted and sentenced to 60 years in prison for the death of Nicole, 10 years for abduction, and five years for concealing a body. And after serving 50 years in prison, he could be eligible for parole but he would have to be on probation for an extra 20 years if he's released after 50 years. Okay. And the judge in the case, he was exceeding the sentencing guidelines because of the heinous nature of the crime. Well, and I then Natalie the Keepers was sentenced to 40 years in prison, in prison for her involvement. Well, that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, you got to consider this, these people were 18 when this happened. And they're going to basically spend the rest of their lives in prison. I mean, by the time they get out, they're going to be... 58, 60. Well, yeah, that's a that's a long sentence 70? for kind of after the... But she was a little more involved in that, you know, helping kind of egg them on and make these supposed great plans. Exactly. So um, uh, maybe they got what they deserve. Yeah, I mean... They, this poor little girl, basically, well, lured... it's just so sad because she was a poor little girl. Taken full advantage of... With her low self-esteem and all that stuff. Who knows? The conversation between him and her may have started out her just reaching out like, you know, wanting to tell someone, you know, make a friend or something. Yeah. And for him to uh, basically just prey upon her is uh, pretty sick. It's pretty disgusting. Yeah. Well, and the fact that if he met her before, because during the investigation and interrogation, the FBI had even come in because, of course, the body was taken across state lines. It was right. an abduction. I can't talk tonight. All of those things. Um, the FBI interviewed him, and he was saying that when he found out that she was a young girl, that he didn't want anything to do with her. He wasn't trying to have a relationship with her. He was trying to play it off like, like oh, well, I didn't have any 
you know, anything more than just texting and talking to her. Right. Thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's come out, of course, later that he thinks he may have had sex with her, all of this stuff. It just makes you wonder, like, why would this 18-year-old college boy be macking on a 13-year-old when he could maybe be at college and find a girl his own age? I don't know. Is he a, Is he just a creepy predator or just a loser? What's the deal? Well, we saw a little video of it. His, you know, news interviews and things tied to his uh, running. He seemed normal enough, you know, good enough looking kid or whatever. But maybe deep down inside, he's just a, a monster in training, honestly. Yeah, maybe so. Well, that is the very sad case of Nicole Lavelle. And, of course, that um, took place in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is... Uh, in the heart of the uh, Appalachian Mountains. Well, this goes to show, um, you just got to try your best to protect the young ones online because you never know what kind of monster might be out there waiting to get a hold of them. It's true. Well, thank you for checking us out this week. We'll have another case for you um, on our regular Spreaker channel. Our podcast will be out. And, of course, uh, more bonus content headed your way. Yep. Thank you, guys.